0: On Shabbat afternoon, I walked into the synagogue and there was a group of people waiting for the class to begin. So I prepared a class based on some questions asked in the morning regarding from Parshat Emor about a Kohen cutting his hair and how the Kohen has to cut his hair, how it relates to our haircuts and on the Kohen becoming Tameh then and now. But when I walked into the synagogue in Florida, they're always sitting and discussing bitachon, Trust and Faith in Hashem. So one of the guys asked a question. He said, "Is it really possible for someone to have complete bitachon in Hashem, complete trust and faith in Hashem?" And you know, we have the uh, famous story of uh, one of the rabbis. He's giving a class, and his brother-in-law is sitting in the class, and he tells the people that that if you have complete and complete and total bitachon, complete and total faith and trust in Hashem, then uh, you really you don't have to do anything. We say that the uh, bitachon and uh, ishtadlut, meaning the uh, the actions that I have to make in this world, the effort that I make is in relationship to the bitachon, is in relationship to the faith that a person has, so the, the story is told that he gives this class and his brother-in-law is one of the guys in the class, his brother-in-law is a simple guy, but a guy of tremendous faith, and his brother-in-law says, you know what he goes home and he tells his wife, your brother said the rabbi, that if you have trust in Hashem, you don't have to worry about anything else so what does he do? He decides he's not going to work the next day. He's not going to go to work. He sits in his house. He's reading Tehillim. He's looking at his watch. Whenever the first class is going to start, he's going to go down to the, to the Bed Midrash. He's going to join the class in the Bed Midrash. And uh, his wife is getting very nervous. What do you mean you're not going to go to work? How are we going to support ourselves. She goes to her brother. What, what's going on here? And the brother says, don't worry. In a few days, he'll go back to work. Don't worry. Don't worry. But the next day also, he wakes up, he goes to shul, he prays, he comes back, he reads Tehillim, he has his breakfast, and he goes back to learn all day from one class to the next. Praise Mincha, then praise Arbit, comes home, and that's it. And she says, when are you going back to work, he said, your brother, the rabbi says, if you have complete faith and trust in Hashem, you don't have to go back to work. Now she gets very nervous, what's she going to do? And his, the business that he had, he owned a A wagon, And he owned a a horse. And the wagon and horse, he would go from place to place and move things for people. That's what he did. So the the wife and the daughter say, you know what, we're going to try to run the moving business. So they go and they try and they go from one place to the other. But the lifting the boxes is too heavy. They don't know what to do. And a few more days go by. They really can't work. And there's no money coming in. And they don't know what to do. And the brother, the rabbi, is not being of much help. And uh, the guy's just sitting there and he's not working. He's saying, don't worry, Hashem's going to provide whatever we need. And uh, what happens is they figure they have to sell the horse and the wagon. So they sell the horse and the wagon. And apparently who buys the horse and wagon? Some guy who was a, was a thief. And this thief had been burying treasure for some time that he'd been stealing from all over. And it accumulated. And he was mo- going to move the treasure from this city to another city. And he was going to leave. And as he's moving his treasure, everything into the wagon, he sees down in the hole that he dug, he's pulling everything up. He sees he had one more ring, a diamond ring that was still down there. So he reaches into the hole, he falls in the hole, he dies. Now the the horse is sitting there, the treasure's on the back of the wagon, and the horse is getting hungry. And the horse is getting hungry, and no one's telling the horse where to go. So what does the horse do? He decides to go back home. He goes back to his house. And as he's coming in, the guy's sitting there reading Tehillim, and on the back of the wagon is a treasure. And he tells it's a true story. And this family was supported for many generations from the treasure. So the students of this rabbi come to him and say, hey, we want to do the same thing. We're going to have complete faith in Hashem. Let Hashem send us the treasure. Let Hashem let us win the lottery. And the rabbi says, you know what? It doesn't work like that. This guy really had complete and total trust in Hashem. And if a person has complete and total trust in Hashem, then that person, Hashem, is going to do everything for. But the question was asked there that day. Is it really possible for us today that we could have such such total and complete trust in Hashem? So it was really a heavy question for them to ask me, and I was unprepared. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I prepared the class something else, but I said, let's let's try. And I reminded myself that we're going to read in a few minutes. This was Shabbat afternoon. We're going to read in a few minutes in Mincha, the beginning of Pashad Behad. And I decided to set aside the class that I prepared, and I broached the subject and the idea of faith and trust in Hashem. So we look at the opening verses of what we read on Shabbat afternoon, which is the parasha that we're going to read this week. And it says, Hashem el Moshe Sinai And Hashem spoke to Moshe on Har Sinai's saying. So what's crucial in this pasuk to say Har Sinai? We see many times in the Torah, "Vaydaber Hashem el Moshe here we have specifically Behar Sinai. Behar Sinai is going to tell us something about the sabbatical year, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Shemitah. And, and, the, and then the question, so relating to Shemitah, why do we have to learn about Shemitah based on it being heard from Moshe on Har Sinai? Why can't we say it was heard in the fields of Mo'av or wherever else they were? And more questions were raised by the guys who were sitting in the class. They ask the question, why the modification of the verse we find in the Torah a hundred times, why does it have to say, Behar Sinai? Why Har Sinai? Also, given that the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, is the seventh year, Shabbat is the seventh day, there's a comparison between the two, which we're going to see later on. But is there really that much in common? In addition to the sevens, perhaps we could say just as we rest on Shabbat, we're supposed to allow the land to rest on Shemitah, But us resting versus the land resting, is there really that much in common between Shabbat and the Shemitah? And the Pasuk tells us, When you come into the land, which I'm giving to you, and the land will rest a Shabbat. So the Torah itself is using the same language as Shabbat. The Midrash explains that when we're going to learn about the sabbatical year, the Torah wants to tell us that the sabbatical year, just like all the laws in the Torah, were learned by Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai. But the question that we have is, why do we need these specific words here to tell us that? Don't we know that everything we learn is based on what Moshe learned from Hashem on Har Sinai? Rabbi Yehuda quoting Rab says, when Moshe went up to the mountain, to Har Sinai to receive the Torah, the Midrash says he found Hashem sitting there and he was tying crowns to the letters. He was putting the tagin, these extra crowns on the top of the letters. So Moshe Rabbeinu Oes, Hashem, why are you delaying giving us the Torah by adding these crowns? Well, who are you doing this for? And Hashem says to Moshe, a person's going to appear in a few generations and that person's name will be Akiva Ben Yosef. And each of these little crowns that I'm putting on the letters of the Torah, He's going to explain every single one of them. And he's going to generate mountains of halachot from these tagin, these little crowns that I'm putting. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to to Hashem, Hashem, let me see this guy. So Hashem says to Moshe, walk backwards. Moshe went and sat in the eighth row of benches in the academy of Rabbi Akiva. It's very interesting. We're talking about seven, seven, seven. Moshe Rabbeinu, there's seven rows in the class. Moshe is going to sit in the eighth row, in the back row. And he couldn't understand what was going on in the class and he became very weak. He was sad because he didn't understand the Torah they were discussing. And when Rabbi Akiva reached an item, a certain student says, Rabbi, how do you reach this conclusion? How do you know that this is the answer to what this means? And Rabbi Akiva says, everything that I'm teaching you is Torah Moshe Mesinai. The Torah Moshe has taught us from Sinai and he passed it on generation to generation. Moshe felt relieved that Rabbi Akiva was citing him. So we see from here that every single explanation of the Torah is Torah Moshe Sinai. So why do we need the specific words in this verse to tell us, Behar Sinai? There's also a story of a man in the ninth century. If you Google this guy, it's very interesting. His name was Eldad Hadani, Eldad Hadani. And the rabbis refer to this guy and he said he came from Africa, from beyond the river Sambation and he gave all of these stories, how he was from the lost tribes. And it seems the rabbis accepted all of his stories. And when they were asking him Halachot, he knew everything. And they said, how do you know everything? He said, from my ancestors to Yehoshua, to Moshe Rabbeinu. They didn't have the Gemara, they didn't have the Mishnah, they didn't even have the Nevi'im. But he said, everything came from, from Yehoshua, from Moshe, from Har Sinai. And we see that some of the rabbis accepted some of the opinions he had and the thoughts that he had into the Halachot that we have. So if someone asks you, where do we get the Halachot of the sabbatical year of the Shmita?" The answer is from Moshe and Sinai. But where do I think we would get them? And why do I need to know that everything was taught from Har Sinai based on this? Why is this the halacha, the preeminent halacha, that we learn to relate to Har Sinai? So we have a question. Why choose the sabbatical year as the role, role model of all the halakhot that we have from Har Sinai? Why do I need to know that, that Hashem spoke to Moshe, this law in Har Sinai? The bottom line is, if Moshe tells me to do it, I have to do it. Rambam, Maimonides, says one of the primary beliefs is Moshe is true. His prophecy is true, regardless of where the prophecy came from. If you don't believe in Moshe, says Rambam, you're a kofer, you're a denier. So again, why the emphasis on Harsinai? We also asked, the sabbatical year has a very few specific laws that are really not so similar to Shabbat. So again, why the comparison? Like we said, seven and seven, but is every seventh Shabbat? And another question sits here. He says, who is responsible to, to uh, obey the Shemitah? Who is responsible to refrain from touching the land? Who is responsible to leave his farm open so everyone can come take? Only the farmer. Only the farmer. And we're going to broach the subject now from two angles. One of the challenges that we often have in trying to take an esoteric idea, and it's interesting because I was bringing up some of those ideas on Shabbat, and no, no, we don't want to focus on the esoteric. Let's focus on the the more simple. So one of the difficulties in taking the esoteric ideas brought in the Zohar, brought from Rabbeinu HaAri, brought from the Mikubalim, and trying to simplify them is we're trying to simplify them in a way to understand them, but we have to be careful not to water it down so much that we don't under we don't get anything left. So I'm gonna divide this class into two. And we're gonna begin with what we'll call the simple version. So again, the class is on this idea of Shana shmita relating to Shabbat, etc. The Mikubalim explained to us that on Shabbat we're given something called a Neshama Yetera. The, the actual translation of that is an extra soul. Are you going to tell me on Shabbat that instead of one David being inside me, there's two of them? And are they having a conversation with each other? And is it like Sybil being taken over by a separate person? What's going on? So Rabbi Abitan would explain, rather than saying there's a different neshama that's coming into you, he would say yes, neshama yetara is an expansion of our neshama it's an expansion of our soul normally our soul or the soul within our bodies exists in a place we call in Kabbalah Malchut or the terrestrial world the physical world it sits both on a physical and spiritual level below the constellations the constellations are the Mazalot that govern us both on a physical and spiritual plane Just as there are physical laws laws of nature such as gravity or if I take water and I put it in the freezer and it's below 32 it turns into ice or if I take water and I put it in a pot and I put it on the fire and it's above 212 it boils Just as there are physical laws in the world we live in, there are also spiritual laws and those spiritual laws govern us and they're just as hard fact as the physical laws of reality within which we live Let us recall that our father, Avraham Avinu, who was an expert at the mazalot, he was an expert at at the constellations, he was an expert at understanding what uh, what we're gonna call astrology was. He sees that within the stars, it's impossible for him and his wife, Sarai, to have children. And he tells Hashem, I can't have children. I know that I can't have children. So Hashem in a prophetic vision takes Abraham to a place where he tells Abraham, Habetna, look please. Now the word to see in Hebrew is Ro'eh, see. So the question is, why do we have the specific word Habet? Why do we have the specific word to look as Habet? Habet we typically use when we're looking down, say from a mountain or someone who's looking from heaven down to earth. So in this case Hashem tells Abraham, "Habet, look down at the stars. Look down at the constellations. You're in a place above them and you're no longer governed by them." Hence the possibility that we all have which relates to the statement of the Gemara, En Mazal Israel, that anyone who's a descendant of Abraham can rise above the forces that control us. And in essence, we can get to a place where we could change the rules. So it appears that one of the ways in which the sabbatical year, in which the Shemitah is similar to the Shabbat, relates to the rising above the spiritual laws of nature. On Shabbat, our neshama yetera, or that expanded soul, can rise from this terrestrial level of Malchut to the heavenly level above the constellations and below the throne to a place we call Bina. There it can directly receive the light and the Shefa and everything is possible. It's no longer subject to these rules. During the shamanash it seems that according to the Zohar, we can also connect Through a somewhat expanding soul To this level above the constellations In addition In order to fully receive This divine light and Shefa One has to have a vessel That's strong enough To hold the light So we're taught How do we build this vessel How do we strengthen this vessel We're taught that a person That a person who exercises self-control that that helps to create the vessel it takes a tremendous amount of self-control to refrain from work on shabbat to celebrate the shabbat the way we should but it takes even more self-control to tell a guy to refrain from working his farm for the whole year and not only not to work but whatever grows in the vineyard whatever grows on the trees whatever grows in the field is not his. It's for anyone else who wants to come and take it. Now, if we consider the four-letter name of Hashem, we have the yud, the k, the vav, and the last k. We see the connection be- between the first hay and the second hay during Shabbat. This bottom hey of the yud k the vav k, the bottom one representing malchut, can rise through the vav to the top hay which represents Bina, which exists above nature, and it seems that the same thing happens, this lower Hay rising to the upper Hay, rising above nature, happens during the year of Shemitah, when we fulfill the year of Shemitah. Just as Shabbat allows us to exist closer to the source of light, closer to the source of blessing and thus we give Shabbat the description of mekor beracha, the source of all blessing in our lives both spiritual blessing and physical blessing the same thing happens during Shemitah just as it makes no sense that what I earn during the week is rooted in my refrain from working on Shabbat not working the land during Shemitah And sharing whatever may grow is what provides the blessing for growth the other six years. Another interesting correlation is the Shemitah and the Yovel, with counting the Omer. So we're in the middle now of counting the Omer. We're doing that, we have another two weeks until we come to Shavuot. In Shavuot we celebrate the receiving the Torah. So just as we count 49 days to come to the 50th, we count 49 years through seven cycles of the Shemitah, finally arriving at the 50th year or the Yovel. This relates to a concentrated period of 49 days that we do during the Omer, culminating in the 50th day, which is the day of the giving of the Torah. In essence, just as we have a concentrated growth period from the Exodus, from Yetziat Mitzrayim, when we're slaves, through the 49 days from when we left Egypt till we got to Har Sinai, and there we stand there for the revelation at Sinai, we become, once we get to Har Sinai, Adam before the sin. So there has to be a growth that takes place each of those days from slave to Matan Torah interesting that the Zohar begins talking about Ever Ivri, he works 60 years, 70 steps out It's all correlates to the same because what we have to do is move from one stage of slave to the stage of complete connection to Hashem, so the Zohar is telling us that just like we have stage 1 coming to stage 49 or stage 50 we have a person has 49 productive years culminating in the 50th year where do we see that? David HaMelech refers to the lifetime of a person of 70 years. He says a person is obligated by heaven from the age of 20, the the, the rabbis teach us, 13 were bar mitzvah, but we're not judged in heaven until 20, and has 50 productive years, main productive years. My father used to say, today things change, today we have 70 productive years, but maybe we need those extra years to catch up. But basically we're seeing that there's forty-nine years and the fiftieth is the year. We see Shmuel Hanavi starts to be a prop starts to, to be with Eliha Kohen when he's two years old and he passes away at fifty-two. So I think this helps us to understand that if we as people are successful through seven periods of Shemitah and we grow year by year, stage by stage, then when we get to the fiftieth, Mashiach can come at the end of the period, or the way the Zohar tells us, it could be the period of complete Tehiyad HaMetim. It's complete Gan Eden at that point. It relates also to going 49 days and the 50th Matan Torah, which is the wedding between B'nai Israel and Hashem. We should also keep in mind that this 50th level relates to the level of Bina, or understanding. We're taught that Moshe Rabbeinu achieved a level of 50 minus 1 while he's in this world. The 50th level exists on a place just beyond the physical. And perhaps this is the reason that even though we say We we, we say you should start counting the next day. We're supposed to count 50 days. But how many days do we really count? 49. We don't count the 50th. The 50th is Shavuot is the culmination because in some way it's almost impossible in our world to achieve or to reach this level called 50. Perhaps we could suggest a reason that this week's portion begins by telling us that Hashem spoke to Ben Israel to Moshe on Har Sinai saying. Perhaps it's a hint that the entire concept of seven years and seven years times seven years the 49 years coming into the 50th year of your veil all relate to the growth that a person has to achieve in order to receive the Torah. It's the process we describe as going from a place of a slave where we have no connection whatsoever and over the period of the next 49 years or 49 days in a in a concentrated form we grow day by day to the point where we completely connect to Hashem and in essence become the bride of Hashem. We achieve at Matan Torah, the revelation, a level of Adam HaRishon before the sin, and there's a complete connection at that point with Hashem. Perhaps this also represents the growth that a person must achieve over his lifetime to bring him to a place where he could repair the damage in each part of the sefirot, in each part of the spheres that relate to him or her, and within each subpart of the spheres which relate to him or her. you see many people when they look at each week in the or each day in the counting, they say, "Today is the day of Hod in Netzach," or "Today is is uh, e- each one." You have one sub of the other. So let's return one more time to correlating the sh- the sabbatical year, the Shemitah with the Shabbat. When a person leaves his fields and allows everyone to come in and allows everyone to take. We're in essence admitting that everything belongs to Hashem and everything is His. We have to be willing to share with others as the choice of distribution remains with the true owner Hashem. On Shabbat in Kiddush, we basically crown Hashem as the creator and owner of the world. And we all have a custom on Shabbat to share with other people. It's atypical for a person to celebrate Shabbat alone. A person's always inviting guests. He's always going to other people. Everything comes together in this group. So we're going beyond the individual to going to the group to be able to share and care for others. It's more so on Shabbat than on any other day. And perhaps it's also through this where we show on a real level during Shemitah and during Shabbat I love my brother like myself We reached the level that our fathers reached one time in history When they stood on Har Sinai And what does it say in the Torah when they stood on Har Sinai? They were there One nation, one heart It's the only time in the history of our people that we were completely unified as one This is also Adam HaRishon before the sin after the sin, he fails at We mentioned many times Who is his re'acha, his, his wife? And what does he do? When Hashem says to him, Adam, what do you do? Instead of saying, I messed up He throws his wife under the bus He says to Hashem, it was the wife you gave me So all of us have to repair Adam's fault And we have to attempt to return to this level Of Adam prior to the sin one of the challenges of life that the rabbis, the Rabbi, Rabbi Abitan always mentioned was to overcome the ego and the selfishness and transform that egotism and selfishness into giving and sharing and a sense of selflessness. This, I guess, is a challenge in our growth as we go from point to point in our lives. And this is what we could strive to achieve over the period of 49 years to go from the selfish person The child who wants everything, me, 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 to the person who's willing to share with other people. The Zohar also explains that on Shabbat, a person has the ability to elevate themselves to a high level and break through the kilipot, the shells that prevent the person's connection to the light. In the same manner, the Zohar explains that the the sabbatical year, the Shemitah, could do the same for a person, and it allows a person to elevate themselves and to break through those kliptot, those shells, and connect with the light. Now, as we come to the end of the, of the of the of the first question, of the of this part, let's let's go back just to this first question that we started with. There seems to be no greater challenge to a Jew, than the sabbatical year. It's not a momentary spiritual high. You know, they ask someone, will you sacrifice your kid? You know, a guy in religious fervor could do anything at a moment. But when you're telling a guy for one year, you have to think how you're going to feed your family, how you're going to take care of them, how you're going to do anything, what are we going to eat, how are we going to survive? It takes extraordinary faith. We have to remember our faith is based on the revelation at Har Sinai. Hashem appeared to all of you, Moshe reminds us, three times in his final speech. He tells us again and again, you were there, you saw, you experienced. It's the only religion which incorporates a a national revelation which is indisputable. Because if one guy says, I saw God and he told me this is what he wants me to do, what are you going to do? You can't argue with the guy whether he did or didn't. But if three million people all say the same thing, And if it didn't happen, you would know it didn't happen, especially because we're Jews and we doubt everything. We realize when we talk to successful people in life that they will all admit that success comes not simply through brains or hard work, but through coincidence, through what they're going to call luck, through even mistakes. That's where Hashem hides. If we really open our lives if we really open our lives, our eyes in our lives, if we really want to see, we could see miracles occurring every single day. These miracles that occur. And you know, when I spoke on Shabbat, we were talking about the different miracles that occurred to each of the people. And each one could tell you that miracles occurred every day. And if it wasn't for this strange thing that happened, they would never be at the position they were. So the problem is, I see these miracles every day. And I realize that Hashem is doing this for me. Why then don't I hold on to those miracles to maintain my faith? What we have to do is take each of those miracles we see and build on them. And then when the next challenge comes, remember, Hashem was with me last time. He'll be with me this time. I have to have faith that that's true. The family that goes through Shemitah, Imagine the family that one year They stop, they don't touch their farm They let everyone come and take whatever they want And they see that they not only survived that year But they thrived What's going to happen? Their faith gets a tremendous boost They experience this connection with Hashem They saw really everything comes from Hashem It's not my hand that's doing it It's Hashem who's doing it That person, that family then Has this greater trust in Hashem and realizes that everything in his Hashem's control. And when the problem comes next time, they don't have to worry. So, is there a person who has complete and total faith and trust? I don't know. But the reality is, every time we experience a miracle in our lives, and we have to look for those miracles, every time we experience, then it helps us and when we come up to the challenge to remember Hashem was there before, he's going to be here today. But we know that we should and can work. And little by little we pray we're going to arise to this level to have this faith in Hashem that this Perashah is talking about. So now we did the first part of the class. We're going to try to jump into the second part of the class. Maybe we can end now, no? A little early. So let's try to delve a bit deeper. It's a little heavy. That there was a time that the, the, the Goyim outlawed our reading of the Torah so we went to them and said could we read from the prophets and they said well you could read from the prophets just not from the Torah so we tried to find in the prophets some story that would correlate to the Torah portion so what's the haftarah that the rabbis would have chosen for Behar for this whole idea of Shemitah and having faith in Hashem that he's going to take care of everything and it's strange because the haftarah that they would have chosen is Yirmiyahu he's sitting in prison Sidkiyahu, the king of Yehuda, had put him in jail. Why? Because he made a prophecy that Bavel is going to prevail over the Jews, and he's going to send them into exile. And what happens? He's behind bars, and Yirmiyahu is still receiving the word of Hashem, and he receives a prophecy that his cousin Hanamel is going to come and ask Yirmiyahu to buy his field in Anatot. Sure enough, Hanamel appears, he comes to the prison compound, and he makes exactly this request. Hanamel comes and he asks him, will you buy my field? Because it says in the Torah, if your relative comes to you and he's poor and he has land, the closest relative should buy it. Based on the law, if Hananel were to sell the land to anyone outside the family, it would be Yidmi'ahu's responsibility to redeem it by buying it back, to keep it in the family. So he therefore offers it to Yirmiyahu in the first place. Now realize that Yehuda is completely under siege. Exile is imminent. The land that they're talking about is probably already under the thumb of Bavel, And still Yirmiyahu agrees to purchase the land. He measures out silver, the the Navi tells us, seven shekel and ten pieces of silver. I don't know, $710. Some small, small amount. Witnesses are there. There's a deed that's signed. Baruch his scribe. He, he fills out the deed. He puts it in a clay pot. And the land is his. Yirmiyahu explains to his prisoners that this act is symbolic. It's based on a promise of Hashem. That even though Yehuda is under siege, houses, fields, and vineyards will again be purchased. In the land of Eretz Israel. And Yirmiyahu turns to Hashem and prays to him. He asks Hashem to make good on his promise. But Yirmiyahu concedes that the land is going to be conquered and taken over. He's very distressed by the hopeless situation. He continues to pray to Hashem. And the haftarah closes with Hashem reminding Yirmiyahu that if anyone could do the impossible, it's Hashem. And the words in the Tanakh are, Behold, I am the Lord the God of all flesh, is anything too wondrous for me? And that the haftarah is. And the questions the rabbis ask is, if we're talking about Shemitah, why of all the haftarot that we could choose, can't we find something more related to a sabbatical year? Why this whole idea after the conquest of the land that he's going to buy the land, what's going on? It's a little strange. So, the, the, this rite of redemption—it's it, it, part of the jubilee year, but it's not totally related. This, this, and the whole Tanakh—we couldn't find something better. Now we have to realize that we're supposed to count seven times seven, 49 years, and on the fiftieth year, Yom Kippur, we blow the shofar, slaves are released, everything goes back, all land returns back to the original seller. So it tells us, do not, put the, do not put the food in the storage houses. You're going to eat from the field, divide everything equally. So we, we, we see that this is part of the laws, but really, how does it relate to the, the haftarah? We asked the question in the beginning, why is only the farmer forbidden from working? Why not the guy who owns the jewelry store? Why not the guy who owns the furniture store? Why doesn't the guy who owns the ranch, what about the antique dealer? Why doesn't the antique dealer just have to open up his shop and say, whoever wants to take something, they'll come and take something. Why only the farm is not allowed to work? Why only the farmer is not allowed to, to keep his food? He has to open up the doors. Why only him? Why is this the way that Hashem has to prove that he's the sole owner of the world? Now there's also something strange in the Torah this week. When it comes to this idea of Shemitah, the Torah puts the question in the person's mouth and says, If you're going to ask, what am I going to eat? And if you're going to ask, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? We're not going to gather in our produce, we're not going to seed, we're not going to do anything. And what does the Torah answer? et I will have commanded my blessing on you on the sixth year. the And I'm going to make the yield for three years, meaning the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth, because even going into the eighth, I have nothing. So Hashem is guaranteeing a miracle. Guaranteeing a miracle. The question is, how come I ask on this case, but I don't ask, you know, my yeshiva tuition bill is so high, Hashem, how am I going to pay it? Why doesn't the Torah write that question? And it's very expensive to be a Jew. Every five minutes you got something that you have to buy, you have to take care of. You have to buy a Torah, ulav, matzah, wine, you lead, mezuzah. Every single day, something else. It's very expensive to be a Jew. So why the question on the expense of life is only related to Shemitah? Why there is it that Hashem is the big boss? Sefer HaChinuch says Hashem wants us to know He's the creator, He's the operator the Gemara continues and tells us that the punishment for a person who doesn't follow Shemitah is the the 70 years of exile which we see in the second portion of Bechukotai so this was the cause of us going to Babel the question is why specifically relate one to the other, why is the punishment of exile of all the sins that a person could do related to the Shemitah now we read in Bereshit now we're going to come up with the answers we read in Bereshit, but maybe more questions. The last aliyah of Vaishlach. It's a very strange aliyah. When you get to this aliyah, you wonder, why am I reading in this aliyah? Why is it even included in the Torah? How could we say every word in the Torah is crucial, important, every dot, every letter? It says, ha-melachim, And these are the kings. Asher malchu edom, lefnei malach, lefnei melach, melech Israel. These are the kings that ruled in Edom before we had a king and it's the whole mashlim, it's the whole shevi'i aliyah of that perasha who cares, who cares who the kings of Edom were, has nothing to do with us, we don't even know if they were related to Esav himself and it's interesting that the Zohar talks about seven kings and if I read through that paragraph I count eight so I was very confused but we're going to continue and we'll get the answer to go to try to understand the answer, we have to go back to the very, very beginning. In the beginning, Hashem created. Hashem creates Adam in the land of Israel, in Yerushalayim, and then He moves him to the Garden of Eden. Adam comes to the Garden of Eden, and Hashem commands him. He gives him a command. What's the command? He tells him, from every tree, eat. Eat. From one tree, don't. Question why is it a positive command to eat from the trees? Also, Adam Arishon is not permitted to eat animals. He can't eat meat. He has to be a vegan. Why not? What if you eat from one tree? What does Hashem say? If you eat from the one tree I told you not to eat from, you're going to die. So the question is, if Hashem is telling him you're commanded to eat from every single tree in the garden, with the exception of one, What's in all those other trees that's different from that tree? What's toxic or wrong with that tree? The next question is, why do we have a seven-day week? Why seventh day of rest? Why seven-year sabbatical? Why seven times seven jubilee? What's with all the sevens? It's interesting that Rabbeinu Bachya says that our world is standing on Seven prior worlds, it's built. There are seven foundations from seven prior worlds, and our world is the eighth world. Almost like Moshe Rabbeinu Hashem tells him standing in the eighth row. We're the eighth world, and there's seven below us. We're taught that the souls of the people from the prior worlds are buried in the spiritual foundations of this world. On Tuesday, Yom It says Hashem says Hashem says the land should give forth grass It should give forth fruit trees It should give forth produce And it says the earth gave forth The third day, the grass, the trees Are all commanded to grow It sounds like beautiful scenery But the question has to be asked Why does Hashem need to feed us? Why can't we just live on air? Why do we need to eat? What's the purpose of eating food? We also learn that really nothing grew until Friday. When Adam came and he prayed for rain and a cloud came and the rain fell. And all of a sudden, after the rain fell, all the food grew. So Hashem creates the, 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 the grass and the fields and the fruit and the trees and everything seemingly impotential. Adam comes a few days later, he prays, and now everything grows. Asks the Ari, why do we have to live in Eretz Israel that the Torah specifically tells us that your land is not like the land of Egypt? The land of, the, Egypt is, the land of Egypt is watered by the Nile. You have to depend on rain. Why can't we have a Nile in Eretz Israel? Why can't we have a Niagara Falls pouring water as much as we need? Why can't we have crops that grow without rain? Why don't we just get dew falling every morning and that waters everything? The world goes on autopilot. Now we have a world. When Adam comes onto the scene, there's no vegetation till he prays for rain. Does Hashem need our prayers in order to bring rain? Obviously not. Rabbi Nohari also explains. He says also, our world rests on the remnants of the prior world. Rav Chaim Vital writes in Sha'ar HaMitzvot and Ta'ame HaMitzvot, in Parshat Pinchas, he says, and he refers to the Zion Melachim, the seven kings of Edom. Again, I told you, I count as eight, but he writes, the seven ancient kings who died are really telling us about the seven primordial sefirot of Olam HaTohu, the universe of chaos. It's shattered, one after the other. So what Tari is telling us is that there are seven worlds that make up the world that we're living on. We've discussed before, the Olam HaTow. He says the eighth king, his name is Hadar. He reigns, but his death is not recorded in the Torah. And he parallels our world, the Olam HaTikun, the world of rectification. Also, he's the only one Not only is he listed as never dying, his wife is named, his father-in-law is named, his mother-in-law is named. So the seven prior worlds represent all the neshamot, all the souls from those prior worlds. They're in the ground. Says the Ari, explains the Ari, that Hashem gave us a job. There are souls that are buried spiritually in the ground. And our job is to rescue those souls from the earth. We have to separate the good from the bad, we have to purify those souls through our own actions, and only then can Mashiach. This process of releasing those souls can take 4,900 years, 490 years, or 49 years. Explains huh. Rabin HaAdi, in the name of the Zohar. The world is standing on plowing, on planting, and eating foods from the ground. How? He says Tuesday is a lucky day, because through the earth, sharing those fruits, those are the pure parts of those neshamot. There's only one way to release those neshamot, by eating everything that grows. Everything that grows, says the Ari, contains a neshama, contains some soul. The rabbi tells us that every blade of grass has a spiritual force behind it. So what do we need to do? We need to release those souls. This is why we have a seven-day system. Because we need to correct the seven previous worlds. But if those souls were from unsuccessful worlds, then obviously maybe they weren't the best or the nicest of people, and their souls aren't the best or the nicest. So if I eat those fruits that represent those Mm. souls, maybe it's going to put a lot of junk into my system. How do I prevent the junk? How do I get the good part? And the answer is through the rain. Remember, rain comes directly from Hashem. The source of rain is below the Kisea Kavod, this place called Minah. This is the source of rain. So the only way to neutralize or purify the effect of those souls is the pure rainwater that falls into the ground, causing the fruit to grow. And together the rain and the land are going to produce the fruit. Then the produce is good enough for you to eat. But without the rain, you have junk and it could damage you. So the key purpose in the world is really (laughs) eating. So if somebody asks you, what's your obligation in the world that I have to answer to eat fruits and vegetables? Which ones? Those that grow naturally, those that grow from the ground with rainwater. Even outside Eretz Yisrael, rain is crucial. Rain even outside Eretz Yisrael comes because of the land of Israel. So if someone asks you, according to the Mekubalim, what should my diet be? And if you even read Rav Kook, he'll tell you the same thing. We should strive to have a diet high in naturally grown vegetables and fruits. Whatever is coming from the ground. If we look at the laws of Shabbat, we see that the first laws relating to Shabbat have to do with what? Planting. This is the most important. Even the laws, the halachot in general, begin with berachot and continue with zeraim. These have the utmost importance. Berachot is blessings, zeraim is seeds. These have the utmost importance because our job in this world is to raise the level of the neshamot embedded in the ground. Actually, this was the job of Adam Arishon. And hence, Hashem tells Adam, from every fruit of the tree, from every fruit of the garden, from every tree of the garden, you should eat. This is the purpose of the berachot we make. This is the purpose of all the mitzvot that we do relating to the field. We have pe'ah, we have leket. After zera'im, we study the laws of Shemitah. Hashem tells Adam HaRishon, eat from every tree except that one. Because that tree contains too much power. In that tree are the rebellious souls of the previous worlds. And you're not strong enough to fix them. If you try to eat from that tree, you're going to ruin your own system. And that's why you're going to die. It's interesting that I thought, even though it doesn't say... That had Adam had Nishon waited until Shabbat, he would have been permitted to eat from the tree. Why? Because Shabbat itself could stand to neutralize the tree. This is what Hashem wanted from Adam. Adam, pray for rain. It shows that you know your job. You pray for rain, the fruit grows, you eat it, and you raise the levels of those Nisham and that's the idea of this week's parasha. Separate of the first idea that we discussed with faith. Separate of that idea relating to us building our faith. This is the second idea that we see in this parashah. Work the field six years. You have to work the field. It's an obligation. You have to produce. This is what Yehoshua did when he came to the land of Israel. He gave each person, every single person who came, got a piece of property. The piece of property wasn't to build a house. It wasn't to build a park, it wasn't to build a car, it wasn't for a baseball field or a tennis court or a shopping center, but it was there for them to plant. Suggesting that each person needed his own garden in his own yard so that person could plant and eat from what he's growing. I think it's an unbelievable idea based on the Zohar that each of us should plant something to make it grow. And as the sabbatical year, as it's done, we come to that sabbatical year we have to realize that over the six years coming into this what did we do? we fixed the neshamot and we could expect Mashiach the pasuk says what will I eat? meaning how will I do my job of raising souls from the previous world? Hashem says don't worry you're going to eat the leftovers from the sixth year the secret of the haftarah your cousin wants to buy the field he wants you to buy the field you're going to buy it seven shekalim 7 previous worlds 10 Kesef the 10 Sefidot that you have to climb he says you're going to yet come to plant because this is the job your obligation seed, plant, pray for rain Adam was commanded to eat from every tree it was a positive command this is all the mitzvot that we have to eat. We're supposed to eat on Pesach. We're supposed to eat on Sukkot. We're supposed to eat on Shabbat. So we do our job and raise the neshamot, the sparks from the previous world. Answers Rabbeinu Adi, why create us with a mouth? Why do we have a need to eat? Why are the fruits these beautiful colors, the variety of scents, the different tastes? Because our job is to eat in Kidusha and raise the souls. And all the souls are different. If you follow the cycle seven times, and in each one follow the rules, that is the end of seven cycles. We have the Jubilee, we have the Yovel, and this explains that Abbeinu Hari is Olam Haba. Because this is the purpose of the world. Therefore, it says on Har Sinai, this is your job, plant, pray for rain, follow the laws, seven cycles, and the end Olam Haba. Because at Har Sinai, we return to the level of Adam HaRishon before the sin, when Hashem told him, eat from every tree of the field. To the point when Adam was commanded to eat from those trees, to raise the souls. This was his job, this is our job. All the mitzvot we know from the role model of the sabbatical year. All of them come from the Mishmitah and the yovel, Because we come to a level of Adam HaRishon before the sin. Before he ruined himself by ingesting what he should not have eaten. It's interesting that we always read this perashah behar before Shavuot. Here we have the commandment of the bikurim, the first fruits. We have to come all the way to Jerusalem. We have to give it to the Kohen so he can eat it. Who needs it? Maybe better to give him money. It says, why does he need to eat? Why first fruits from the ground? Because it shows that we understand the purpose of this world. The first fruits, the first product of the land, the rain. What do I do? I take it to Yerushalayim. Why? Because Yerushalayim was where Adam HaRishon was created. He was to do this job. He didn't. We therefore have to come to do His job in this place. We give to the Kohen, the mitzvahs to eat, to redeem those souls. It teaches us that Hashem judges the fruits on Shavuot. We need those fruits at the time of Shavuot where we return to Har Sinai. We return to the place of Adam before the sin to do the job of redeeming the souls embedded within the the worlds below us. I think also just to end, it's interesting that originally when we came back to Eretz Israel, it was the Chalutim. It was the pioneers. And what did they do? They worked on developing the land in order to plant the land, in order to make a land that couldn't grow anything, grow everything it's a miracle of what Eretz Yisrael has become it's a miracle that we can't understand and imagine but the miracle is associated with the purpose so what should we be eating we should be eating fruits and vegetables that's really what we should be eating there's a whole idea of eating meat because the animals are eating from the fruit but it's at a high level we only got that level much later much much later when Noah came out of, the, out of the ark, what did he want to do? He wanted to become a farmer because he wanted to try to be metakin, but really he didn't have to be a farmer. It gets a little deep because we get into Abraham and the Yitzhak, Yaakov, they were shepherds. Another class. Rabbi Abitan said, We eat for what? It's interesting. He said, We only eat to make the blessing. So think about that. The next time you sit down to a meal, you're picking up a piece of fruit. But you're not saying the blessing in order to eat the fruit. You're going to eat the fruit in order that you should say the blessing. And, any sparks, any souls within that fruit, you should be the one who releases those souls and raises them out. Have a great week, everybody. This class was originally recorded 5781. Be'had Be'chukotai.